The Devil's Dirt Star podcast was created for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings from the Devil's Dirt Star, a podcast for the esoteric and strange. Did you hear that they think they identified the Zodiac Killer? Fuck out of here. Yep. You waited until we were doing the pod to tell me that? (laughs) With DNA evidence, a cold case squad believes that they identified him and linked him to a sixth murder. Okay. You know the movie, right? No. It was a Zodiac movie? (gasps) Oh my God. (laughs) Wait, is it Gyllenhaal that's in it? Jake Gyllenhaal? Oh, you know what? Maybe I have seen it. Okay. I think there's this guy... And I could be wrong. His name is Stanley or something like that. Whatever. He was suspected to be the Zodiac Killer. And there were all kinds of reasons. So the man they identified told Fox News that the group, which is led by former FBI agents and retired law enforcement officials, identified the infamous killer as Gary Francis Post, who died in 2018. Ex-military. Yeah, this is... Gary Francis. Or was that the guy? Wait, that guy? Yeah. Show them. That guy? This guy. Oh, we'll post a picture of yeah. it. But yeah. <laughs> Slide it into the video. Oh my God. That's wild. It was going to happen at some point. I'm a little disappointed that he died because I yeah. wanted interviews. I mean, he's in hell and he deserves to be, if hell exists. Like, he deserves to be dead. I'm not sad that he's dead for his sake. Of course not. I just wanted interviews. So much shit's going to come out now. Oh my God. The documentaries. According to a this like cold case team that found it out. So I don't think it's like 100% confirmed yet. Right. But this is through DNA. But it's through DNA. And it was a sixth murder. Yeah. Holy shit. That's wild. Yeah. I need to, now I'm just like, wait, what were we going to talk about today? (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) I want to talk about that. I mean, not that the Zodiac's not depressing because it is, but it's much more depressing stuff is being covered today. On that note, everyone, this is part two of the father of gynecology, racial bias in healthcare. And this is Ellsworth and Big Spoon, your hosts of Devil's Dirt Star. (laughs) (laughs) This episode is sponsored by Strange Adornments. It is a wonderful little business. They make jewelry out of precious stones and animal bones. I'm actually wearing a precious Strange Adornments choker right now that has a coyote claw on it. And you can find them on Instagram at Strange Adornments, S-T-R-A-N-G-E-A-D-O-R-N-M-E-N-T-S. Check her out. Michelle is awesome. She makes beautiful work. I have several of her pieces. Uh, She commissioned a Hecate necklace, or I commissioned her for a Hecate necklace. And she's very affordable. I actually told her that she should raise her prices. (laughs) But yeah, so get um, in on that before she's too big. (laughs) I have notifications set up so that whenever she's you know, doing sales, it just like it comes sells up. out immediately. You yeah. need to be refreshing that page. <laughs> I, I have lost out on multiple necklaces because I refresh it and they're all sold out because they're all handmade individual they're beautiful. pieces. We'll have to post a picture of you with your necklace. Yeah. On. Cause you can tell that she puts a lot of work into it. Cause the spacing is perfect. They're just really beautiful necklaces. Yeah. So if you're into strange kind of dark esoteric, esoteric jewelry, <laughs> give her a, a follow yeah, so on to part two of Sims, which 
As we were discussing before, we're going to kind of veer away from Sims a little bit. We feel like we gave him a decent amount of coverage in the last episode, and he really has gotten a lot of coverage historically for centuries now. Um, So we kind of want to focus today on the woman he experimented on, the history of experimenting on enslaved people, and then kind of how the racial biases that grew during the 19th century and were born out of 19th century physicians that still have an impact today in modern medicine. Right. And I will be reading some accounts from modern women who had some pretty awful experiences when they were in a medical crisis. And I think it's important that they are heard. That we recognize that racism still is very alive and well in medicine. And there are, not maliciously, but there's a lot of ignorance still. And it is born out of, you know, old research that is not necessarily accurate. And as you were saying, justifications for experimenting on enslaved people by saying that they have thicker skin, they have thicker skulls, they have less pain, which is not factual. Yeah. And then some other like wild things about how their blood coagulates faster and just like weird shit. Just trying to justify abuse basically is what it really boils down to. One of the studies I was looking at, they had control groups. So they had pre-med students, residents, and lay persons. And it was shocking. (laughs) The results were um, scary. Obviously, pre-med and residents, they did better than the lay person. But yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like the common person on the street and what they believe yeah. about race and healthcare, kind of disappointing. One of the uh, articles that we'll discuss from the Washington Post brings up a 2016 survey that found that about 50% of white medical students and residents endorsed false beliefs about biological differences between black and white people. It impacts the way that they treat people. It impacts the way that they provide care and treatment and medicine. And ultimately, it it is the reason that black women are three or four times more likely to die in childbirth than white women are. Absolutely. Those numbers, staggering. It's disgusting. And it's there's no there is no good reason for it. It's not a race thing. Black women are not inherently more likely to die in childbirth. It is because of a lack of there's a, a gap in care. Yeah. Yeah. So where do we want to start? So I guess we can kind of discuss, we, the reason we (laughs) have kind of come to this over the last few weeks between that first episode and this episode, both of us were trying to find follow-up information on the woman that Sims experimented on. The first enslaved teenagers, mostly, honestly, that he experimented on, and specifically in Arca because she was experimented on 30 times. She was a baby. She was 14. Yeah. And... There's really nothing about what happened to her after. There are still historians and researchers to this day that are actively searching for more information on what happened to her. And I hope that maybe the medical experience that she gained, they assisted in the experiments. So I hope that that experience gained them opportunities, especially once slavery was abolished, that allowed them to lead as joyful a life as possible based on, you know, the situation and their experience. Yeah, I hope so too. It is very much an argument as to what happened to all three of the women. I've read a lot about how all of them went back to their plantations. That is pretty much known that they did. Yeah. Um, But I hope afterward, you know. Yeah, I hope that they had good lives. When slavery was abolished, I hope that that, you know, allowed them to go on and maybe have a career in medicine, be midwives. I just hope that that was 
So we did not, there really is not a lot that we were able to obtain about what happened with them. So instead, what we're going to do is we're going to move on. We're going to discuss a little bit more about the experimentation on enslaved people, the history that American medicine really has in experimenting on enslaved people, and the effects that that has and is still showing today and kind of tailor that to giving modern women who are still experiencing medical racism a voice. We'll start with this report by Stephen Kenny, the report on power, opportunism, and racism, human experiments under American slavery. And he brings up specific examples of doctors during the 19th century using enslaved people as lab rats, essentially. And he doesn't necessarily bring this up in the article, but it kind of brings to mind how they did care if they lived or died, not because of them as a human being, but because it was the same way you would care if your cattle lived or died, because it was property and it was important to you. So even with Sims, you know, what Sims did was important to the slave owners because in 1808, there was a federal ban on importing slaves from other countries. Oh, So at that point, it became very important that slaves were able to reproduce because they had to bring in that product. They had to bring that product in locally. Their thoughts on that, not ours. Yes, their thoughts on that, not (laughs) ours. So it became an economic necessity for slave owners to be certain that their slaves could reproduce. So that is what made Sims work so important to them at the time because the woman who had issues that he was dealing with couldn't reproduce. So again... It wasn't out of kindness. It was because it was the same way that you would have a vet come check out your animals. They didn't see them as people. They saw them as things. They saw them as property. So a lot of these experiments were done with that in mind. And kind of like you were saying earlier, you know, they justified it by saying that black people have a higher tolerance to pain, that black people have thicker skin, that they have thicker skulls, that it is a trait of their race that they can handle this torture better than white people. And that racist belief is still a very strong belief today. There are still a lot of medical professionals that believe that. And it's really sad and it's really scary because, I mean, I know, I personally know Black people who have gone to the hospital and not received adequate treatment, who have been treated like they are drug seeking or that they are making something up because of these very deeply held racist beliefs that they tolerate pain, that they're more likely to be drug seeking, just really deep and terrible beliefs that need to be weeded out. And even with the knowledge that they exist, that is not enough to deal with it. It needs to be an active conscious effort to deal with it because even if you're a doctor and you know this is not to shame doctors there are plenty of amazing doctors and you know what I'm sure just from training alone there are probably black doctors who still hold these beliefs because that's what they were taught and so that's you what's have in the books yeah you have to actively pay attention it's not just saying I know that this is a thing and it's wrong you have to actively look for it and assess yourself constantly I mean that's really anti-racism in general I mean it doesn't matter if you don't think you're racist like these things are so deeply ingrained in you you need to actively be aggressively searching for it and rooting it out and especially in medicine when you're dealing with people's lives and their quality of life because it's not just life or death For me, life or death is not the scary thing. Death is not the scary thing. It's quality of life. And pain has a huge impact on quality of life. And when you're not treating people's pain appropriately because you believe that they can handle pain more, 
that to me is just, you shouldn't have to handle pain. Being able to handle pain more doesn't mean that you don't feel it. It is an incredible, really terrible thing that is, you know, you have some examples of that. So a few of these examples by Stephen Kenny after my little, (laughs) my little sidebar, (laughs) um, my preachy sidebar. So some of the examples he used, there was a female slave in this enslaver and physician's place. And she had what he called an extraordinary tumor. He referred to her as a living cadaver and a prized specimen. Whoa. Yeah. She was talking about not treating them as people. There was an example where a young man had a head injury and they severed the quote unquote healthy looking brain from him, which obviously killed him. They removed a tumor from a young girl's lymph node, which made it swell grotesquely around her head. An experiment in 1852 on an enslaved girl named Lucinda. She had a bony growth around her right eye, and they disfigured her by boring holes in her head without any kind of anesthesia to remove the growth. So again, this is the kind of thing that you wouldn't want someone to do to an animal without painkillers. I wouldn't let someone do this to my dog without putting them under, and they're doing it to human beings. And a lot of these human beings are children. That's how they they saw this is just... Where did you find this stuff? <laughs> Just in lots of deep Google searches. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. Oh my I, I God. highly recommend reading this report by Stephen Kenny and trigger warning, really traumatic and it's really upsetting. It really wasn't that long ago. No. I mean- It wasn't. It really wasn't. It was great grandparent generation, basically. Yeah. It was not that long ago. That's something that drives me crazy. I've had people in my own family say things like, it was a hundred years ago, get over it's it. It's in the past. Which and- is why I don't talk to more than half of them. That's not the problem here. The problem is that it's continuing. It just bred more and more of the same bullshit, which is why we're still talking about shit like this today. Yeah. It never stopped. Because if you think about how much of that ingrained behavior needed to be erased and then how much was fought against that erasure, I mean, it wasn't until, what, the 70s that it was legal for a mixed couple to marry, right? It was in my parents' lifetime. Yes. It was Ruby Bridges, I think, the little girl who was the first one who went to an integrated school who grown adults were throwing tomatoes at and stuff. She's still alive. That happened during my mother's lifetime That was so recent. And to say that it's not a problem now when the people who were involved in that are still alive. Yeah. just Inaccurate. Yes. And unacceptable and fucking ignorant. Yeah. But this is coming from people that don't want to learn. Yeah. And process new information and actually seek it out. You know, if you hold these beliefs, you may not have had the opportunity or the experience to know otherwise. That's so fair. we're offering that to you. Maybe you grew up in a situation where you didn't have the opportunity to learn these things, or you had a family that rejected this as a, a reality or a possibility, or you grew up in an area that had zero diversity. I mean, we live in an area that has very close to oh zero diversity. So literally like my school yeah. in high school, I remember, I think there were four black kids that we went to school with. It's, one of them I had known my whole life. For our white listeners who, who did grow up in not diverse areas, I just want you to try to imagine the reverse of that because I know all of you have 
had friends who say things that you would not be comfortable with them saying in front of your black friends. And just think about being in a world really, I mean, the United States is primarily white. Imagine being in a situation where you are the minority and you are not taken seriously. And then take that beyond just being in a high school where you might get like picked on for your hair or whatever, and then make it bigger where that impacts your ability to get a job or your ability to have a safe birth. It's quality of life and quality of life down to the point where it is significantly and very blatantly statistically obvious that we are not handling it properly because three to four times more likely to die in childbirth. That is not because black women can't give birth as well as white women. That is because they're not being treated well. <laughs> when you say that, it sounds so fucking dumb. Yeah, it, right? Like, that clearly is not the yeah. reason. So why, why is that <laughs> by design not taken seriously? We are all created to do this. Yeah. But if you are not receiving the proper care, it can go wrong. I don't care what fucking color your skin is. If you're is. not being taken seriously. And, and I'm sure that there are other factors involved. Of course. You know, I mean, there also tend to be in communities that are not taken seriously, communities that do not receive the right kind of government assistance that white communities receive. There's a lot of other factors that go into that. I mean, all of those factors are based in racism. I mean, all of those, you know, poor performing schools receive less assistance, which means they're going to perform worse, which is completely bass backwards. And yeah. that often is a marginalized community. It often is a community with minorities and the you know less education you have, that is going to affect your health. So there are a lot of other factors besides medical racism, but let's not pretend medical racism is not a huge factor in that statistic. Ultimately systemic racism. There's all those factors ball into them being way more likely to die in childbirth than you or I. Before we move on to modern situations of medical racism, do you want to do the anarcho poem now or do you want to save it for the end? What do you think? Let's save it for the end. I think it'll be a good tie. I found this study because I was trying to find some peer-reviewed data on what is actually going on with racial bias. And this is part of the abstract from a paper called Racial Bias in Pain Assessment and Treatment Recommendations and False Beliefs about Biological Differences Between Blacks and Whites. Get ready. Black Americans are systemically undertreated for pain relative to white Americans. We examine whether this racial bias is related to false beliefs about biological difference between blacks and whites. As you said, blacks have thicker skin than white people's skin is just one of the examples. Of an incorrect belief. Yeah. Exactly. Thank you for the clarity yeah. on that. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. That is not a real thing. No, it, it's not. <laughs> That's going in the If you TikTok. think that, just FYI. Not <laughs> yeah. true. So there were some studies, there were two specifically that they're referencing. Study one documented these beliefs among white laypersons, so the average Joe on the street, and revealed that participants who more strongly endorsed false beliefs about biological differences reported lower pain ratings for a black versus white target. Study two extended these beliefs to the medical context and found that half of a sample of white medical students and residents endorsed these beliefs. Moreover, participants who endorsed these beliefs rated the black versus white patient's pain as lower and made less accurate treatment recommendations. Participants who did not endorse these beliefs rated the black versus white patient's pain as higher, but showed no bias in treatment recommendations. These findings suggest that individuals with at least some medical training hold and may use false beliefs about biological differences between blacks and whites to inform medical judgments, which may contribute to racial disparities in pain assessment and treatment. 
So everything we've just been talking about. Yeah. I mean, think about the era in which a lot of the medical textbooks are written, where a lot of these discoveries were made. And it's in an era where that belief is really prevalent and it's hard to weed that out. This is a thing that has just been so deeply rooted. And the reality is pain is really hard to judge because it's based on what people are going to say and what they're going to put up with. So my 8 out of 10 might be different than your 8 out of 10. Oh, definitely. And that doesn't necessarily mean that one of us has a higher pain tolerance than the other. It just means that we're rating it differently or we don't want to look weak or we know that we're not going to be taken seriously. And that's a huge thing. Knowing that you're not going to be taken seriously or knowing that you're going to be seen as med-seeking and trying to stop that from being an issue. And and we need to take that into consideration when we look at the numbers and the studies because there are external factors that affect that Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we'll definitely be getting to that. Just so everyone knows, I'm kind of a little bitch when it comes to pain. Same. And I have a hard time hiding it. But imagine being in a situation where you're forced to hide it so that you're not judged. Yeah, it is it's a, a you're protecting yourself. And yeah. I mean, we could probably get into the same thing with men and women because I think a lot of times men feel like they need to hide pain. Oh, and absolutely. Man, just there's a lot. <laughs> it go, we could talk about this for, for I know. I yeah. know. <laughs> we, we really could. Human beings are very interesting. So on with the abstract. It says, a young man goes to the doctor complaining of severe pain in his back. He expects and trusts that a medical expert, his physician, will assess his pain and prescribe the appropriate treatment to reduce his suffering. After all, a primary goal of healthcare is to reduce pain and suffering. Whether he receives the standard of care he expects, however, is likely contingent on his wraith. On his wraith? (laughs) Insert ghost here or Lord of the Rings wraith. (laughs) Is likely contingent on his race or ethnicity. I did it. Yay! (laughs) Prior research suggests that if he is black, then his pain will likely be underestimated and undertreated compared to if he was white. The present work investigates one potential factor associated with this racial bias. Specifically, in the present research, we provide evidence that white lay people and medical students and residents believe that black body is biologically different, and in many cases, stronger than the white body. Moreover, we provide evidence that these beliefs are associated with racial bias in perceptions of others' pain, which in turn predict accuracy in pain treatment recommendations. The current work, then, addresses an important (laughs) (laughs) social factor. (laughs) That their social factor is (laughs) important. That's going on the TikTok. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stop laughing and reread that sentence. We're not laughing at the at the topic. No, we're laughing at my lack of ability. I'm getting tongue-tied here. <laughs> the current work then addresses an important social factor that may contribute to racial bias in health and health care. Extant research has shown that, relative to white patients, black patients are less likely to be given pain medication, and if given pain medication, they receive lower quantities. For example, in a retrospective study... Todd et al., the authors, found that black patients were significantly less likely than white patients to receive analgesics, or analgesics, not analgesics. Analgesics. <laughs> analgesics. Any one of you that have, <laughs> have you ever watched Scrubs? There's a part in there about that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Come on, honey, it's time for your analgesics. <laughs> ah, okay. 
found that black patients were significantly less likely than white patients to receive analgesics or extremity fractures in the emergency room. 57% versus 74%. Only 57% That's a huge. of black patients were receiving the correct amount yeah. of meds. It is huge. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. Despite having similar self-reports of pain. So they're reporting similar pain levels. Yep. And they're not being medicated accordingly. Yep. yep. This disparity in pain treatment is true even among young children. For instance, a study of nearly 1 million children diagnosed with appendicitis revealed that relative to white patients, black patients were less likely to receive any pain medication for moderate pain and were less likely to receive opioids and appropriate treatment for severe pain. Less likely to receive any pain medication for moderate pain. Not adequate. Any. Appendifuckingcitis. And what's... I think important to say here is we're not saying that there are not medical differences between races because there, I mean, sickle cell disease, black people are more likely to have that. There are diseases that tend to be more likely to affect different races. There are some biological differences. What we're saying is that the biological differences are not fairly looked at or reported because of the racial history, because of the history of slavery and because of them trying to justify what they did to people. Yeah. The biological differences have been muddied by that history. Yeah. It really sucks. And this is truly a discussion about just pain management. Again, quality of life. You cannot have a high quality of life if you are in pain and you cannot have a good high quality of life if you're not receiving adequate treatment because of your race. So these disparities in pain treatment could reflect an overprescription of medications for white patients, underprescription for medications for black patients, or more likely both. Indeed, there is evidence that overprescription is an issue, but there is also clear evidence that the underprescription of pain medications for black patients is a real documented phenomenon. For example, a study examining pain management among patients with metastatic or recurrent cancer found that only 35% of racial minority patients received the appropriate prescriptions as established by the World Health Organization guidelines compared to 50% of non-minority patients. Broadly speaking, there are two potential ways by which racial disparities in pain management could arise. The first possibility is that physicians recognize black patients' pain but do not treat it, perhaps due to concerns about noncompliance or access to healthcare. That, that right there is a fucking disgusting excuse. So one of the sources from the underprescription of pain medications, I just clicked on the source and it was specifically talking about sickle cell disease, which is what we just said. Which is very painful. Very painful. It is a very painful disease to have. And the fact that black people are more likely to have sickle cell disease and then also more likely to not receive adequate treatment for what is a painful disease Yeah. Yeah. So the second possibility is that physicians do not recognize black patients' pain in the first place and thus cannot treat it. In fact, recent work suggests that racial bias in pain treatment may stem in part from racial bias in perceptions of others' pain. This research has shown that people assume a priori that blacks feel less pain than whites. In a study by Staten et al., for instance, patients were asked to report how much pain they were experiencing, and physicians were asked to rate how much pain they thought the patients were experiencing. Physicians were more likely to underestimate the pain of black patients, 47%, relative to non-black patients, 33.5%. Of note, 
This research has also shown that racial attitudes measured both implicitly and explicitly do not predict racial bias in pain perception or treatment, with the exception of one study showing that implicit pro-white attitudes predicted physicians' likelihood of recommending thrombolysis treatment. Racial bias in perceptions of pain and possible treatment does not appear to be born out of racist attitudes. In other words, it is likely not the result of racist individuals acting in racist ways. To date, then, it is unclear what beliefs account for disparities in pain assessment and treatment. Here, we examine the extent to which beliefs about biological differences between blacks and whites, for example, beliefs that blacks have thicker skin than white people do or that black people's blood coagulates more quickly than white people's blood, the fuck? <laughs> are associated with racial bias in pain perception and treatment recommendations. That last bit is the important caveat to this in that I do believe that everyone has prejudice in them, even people who actively try not to have it, especially, and so in the U.S., I think that every white person has some form of racial bias because it's built into our system. And there's actually a really interesting study, bit of a sidebar, that politically liberal-minded people are more likely to speak down to black folk than otherwise. So really? speak to speak to them at a lower education level, to speak to them as if they're they're dumber, basically. I read it and I was like, that's very fascinating. I'm gonna have to like watch that, myself and see if, if yeah. that is something I do. But the point of this is that while I would say probably most doctors do have some unconscious racism, that this behavior is not intentionally racist. It is right. not doctors saying that whites are better than blacks or, or whatever beliefs. It is something that they are taught. And so that racial bias is inherent to the profession because it is included in the very extensive education that they receive. Right. And they're treating them accordingly yeah. to the text, but they're not intentionally not treating people correctly. Right. It is not a willful cruelty or a willful ignorance. It is something that they were taught when they received their medical degree. Physicians are data-driven, constantly searching for the most accurate, well, hopefully, up-to-date information that they can so that they can better treat their patients. But when that data is flawed, yes, it's a problem. Exactly. Yeah. Beliefs that blacks and whites are fundamentally and biologically different have been prevalent in various forms for centuries. In the United States, these beliefs were championed by scientists, physicians, and slave owners alike to justify slavery and the inhumane treatment of black men and women in medical research. In the 19th century, prominent physicians sought to establish physical peculiarities of blacks that could serve to distinguish him from the white man. Such peculiarities included thicker skulls, less sensitive nervous systems, and diseases inherent to dark skin. Dr. Samuel Cartwright, for instance, wrote that blacks bore a disease, making them insensible to pain when subjected to punishment. Quote, unquote. Quote, unquote. Other physicians believed that blacks could tolerate surgical operations with little, if any, pain at all. And well into the 20th century, researchers continued to experiment on black people based in part on the assumption that the black body was more resistant to pain and injury. Which again, think about that. Does that make any sense to you? No. Less resistant to pain and injury. We all fucking bleed the same. Yeah. And well, and that's, that bears down to, again, the idea that there are people who think it's not racist because I'm saying they're stronger. 
that's still racist. That's a, that's a microaggression, <laughs> yes. actually. Yes. Um, I had somebody, I don't know if I mentioned it in the last episode, who received a compliment from a white quote person. Unquote. Yeah, quote unquote. She is a black woman. They said to her after she was giving a speech, you're really intelligent for a colored girl. That is oh. a microaggression. You are complimenting them by saying how intelligent they are, but then going 10 steps backwards by pointing out like, huh, that's kind of surprising because of the color of your skin. Yeah. It's the common ones I have heard are, you're really pretty for a black girl. You're really well-spoken for a black girl. You're really well-educated for a black girl. Just how does, how does anyone in their right mind think that that's acceptable. And then, and then get confused when, when someone's offended and says, you know, that's not a compliment. What do you mean? I'm saying a nice thing about you. Or they go and touch your hair. That's not fucking okay. Don't touch anybody's fucking hair without don't, permission. Just don't touch anyone without permission. Yeah. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> just, yeah, just, you know, keep your hands to yourself. Don't touch people without permission. Yes. And I can't imagine having a stranger coming up to touch my hair. Yeah. Like, I don't even like it when a friend does it. <laughs> Just, you know. Yeah. Like you. Get permission. <laughs> you gave me explicit permission to give you a wolf cut one time. Yes. That's we were different. Also quite hammered. <laughs> oh my God, you guys. Well, on a, uh, on an after hours. It was the evening this podcast was born. Yes. Oh my God, it was. Yes. We were. <laughs> we there were, were many bottles shared between us. In a hot tub. In a hot tub. I lost a toenail. It was a great night. Yeah, there was some Nordic music and snow yeah. angels, and my hair was standing on end. Yes. We'll was... have to post pics yes. when we do it. Uh... I have a picture of you and, and God upstairs. Uh, <sighs> we can blur your, out his face. Your... <laughs> <laughs> we'll put an emoji over it. <laughs> oh my God, even better. Like icicles hanging yeah. off. God damn. Okay. So continuing on. The military covertly tested mustard gas and other chemicals on black soldiers during World War II, and the U.S. Public Health Service, in collaboration with the Tuskegee Institute, studied the progression of untreated syphilis in black men from 1932 to 1972. We'll do an entire episode on that Tuskegee experiment. We mentioned it in the Beecher paper. It is is a very well-known experiment. took place over decades and ultimately resulted in a lot of death and suffering and loss of quality of life and children inheriting diseases. And, and overall, it's a very well-known example of and medical racism. As you told me, it was just to see what would happen over one's yeah, lifetime. Just out of curiosity, they had a cure for it. They just wanted to know what would happen. And it leads to insanity and a lot of suffering. So that's what happens. It was specifically a poor black community and they went out of their way to ensure these people could not receive treatment. They would deny them treatment. We'll do a deep dive. Today, many lay people, scientists, and scholars continue to believe that the black body is biologically and fundamentally different from the white body and that race is a fixed marker of group membership rooted in biology. In fact, many people insist that black people are better athletes, stronger, faster, more agile as a result of natural selection and deliberate breeding practices during slavery. Research suggests that people even believe that black people are more likely than white people to be capable of fantastical mental and physical feats, such as withstanding extreme heat from burning coals. How the fuck that came to be? I Anyway, these biological conceptions of race are only weakly, if at all, correlated with racial attitudes. They are nonetheless consequential. Research has shown that biological conceptions and related beliefs are associated with greater acceptance of racial disparities and even racial bias in pain perception. 
Indeed, in one study, white participants who believed black people can tolerate extreme heat more than white people can, for example, were more likely to think that black people feel less pain than do white people. I just thought it was important to have some data out there about what people in medicine and the lay person think as far as pain levels go with race. There's a problem and we haven't fixed it. There was another article I had seen that talked about how there is a very specific paper that came out in the 80s that like really gave a voice to what is going on and how black people are not being believed with their pain and that there's this belief that their tolerance is so much higher because of the history of being a slave and that's ingrained in their DNA and all this bullshit. And at first there were a lot of studies and research being done to try to rein this in and manage it and do better, but we're still not there. And that was 40 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. 40 years ago. And now some articles from women, two specific women, and they have been in the social media space and talked about their experiences to the public pretty heavily. So I am going to use their names. I think if it's in a public article, it's... Yeah, I want to give them a voice in this kind of platform too. Yeah, because right now it's just two white women talking about the experiences of black people and that's... Yeah, we're aware. <laughs> we're aware that we're basically translucent. We know. Yes, um, <laughs> we can float away on a, on a breeze and <laughs> blend in with a cloud. These are not things that we have to deal with. We're very, very lucky in that this is, you know, ultimately we only benefit from the suffering that has happened because of the experiments that were done led to medical discoveries that benefit us today. Yes. And in no way have we or our ancestors suffered from this. No. Not saying that women in general historically haven't also suffered, but it's not comparable white women to black women. So yeah, giving a voice to black women and, you know, hearing it from their own words instead of just us talking about our opinions. Yeah. That's the other important part. I want to actually have something coming from a black woman who had an experience and I am focusing on women because, again... Sims, yeah. father of gynecology. Exactly. Yeah. So this article is called You Are Not Listening to Me, Black Women on Pain and Implicit Bias in Medicine by Vidya Rao. And if I'm saying that wrong, I apologize. Please correct me. Amy Mason Cooley is in so much pain this past June that she couldn't walk, a pain that she describes as feeling like being sliced open with a rusty handsaw. Her husband rushed her to USA Health University Hospital, a familiar trip for the Mobile, Alabama resident. Mason Cooley, 37, regularly experiences excruciating pain as a result of sickle cell disease, a disorder in which abnormally crescent-shaped red blood cells can get stuck in blood vessels and prevent the flow of blood and oxygen to parts of the body. Horrible disease. After 24 hours at the hospital, her pain still hadn't subsided, but her doctor decided to take her off the medications despite her pleas that she was unable to walk and was still in crisis. Amy Mason Cooley has struggled to get adequate treatment for sickle cell disease. As soon as he stopped all my medications, my blood count started dropping, she told today. It dropped down low enough that they started talking about doing a transfusion. She advocated for herself, telling the doctor, I don't want you to be in control of my care because you are not listening to me. He ignored her request and, according to her, even smirked in response. It wasn't until other medical staff came in and got her back on her medication hours later that she finally stabilized. 
Mason Cooley filed a complaint with the hospital and recounted her experience in a Facebook post that was shared over 13,000 times before she made it private. The post hit a nerve for numerous people across the country who have been denied appropriate care after their own pain was dismissed. While the hospital did not return a request for comment, they did post a statement to their Facebook page saying, investigate all complaints after Mason Cooley's post went viral. In another pain crisis just last year, Mason Cooley recalls being left in a hospital waiting room for 10 hours until she passed out from pain, only to wake up to a nurse telling her, this isn't a pain clinic, implying that she was seeking drugs, which is exactly what you were talking about, med-seeking. She goes on to say, I have straight up told doctors and nurses, if I wanted to get high, I could do it on the streets for cheaper with less judgment. I'm here because I'm sick. Others on Mason Cooley's Facebook thread posted about severe pain in the middle of the night and forcing themselves to wait until the morning to go to the hospital because they knew a 2 a.m. trip to the emergency room for severe pain would only result in accusations that they are addicts. It's a lot of added stress to deal with when you're struggling with intense pain. And having untreated pain can have long-term physical, psychological, social, and economic consequences. Additionally, say the authors of the 2019 study, pain that's dismissed causes patients to have less trust in the medical system. That was what Siobhan Blake, a 29-year-old black baker in Queens, New York, experienced. I used to have a lot of lower abdominal pain, and I brought up the concern to my doctor multiple times. He would say, it's probably just a little gas, you're fine and just kind of brush it under the rug. It's gotta stop, we're asking you to listen to us. Blake switched from her Asian male doctor to a black female doctor who took her concerns seriously. Her new doctor listened to her, discussed her options, and eventually referred her to a gastroenterologist. It turns out that Blake has a gluten intolerance. G-free banshees here. (laughs) And it's an issue that has been managed with dietary changes. I didn't feel like I could talk to my previous doctor. If he was going to dismiss me, then I'm not going to be proactive and tell him what I'm feeling. And again, it's like, how can you be honest? Like being honest with your provider is so huge. They're not here to judge, turn you in, get you arrested, anything like that. It is so important not to lie to them, especially in an emergency room situation. If you are on something, I've had people in the past, friends of mine tell me like, oh my God, you know, I had pot in my system at the time and I didn't want to say anything. I'm like, no, you fucking need to tell them that things stuff. interact. And if you, yes. if you smoke pot regularly and heavily, that impacts your ability to react to painkillers and yes. anesthesia. So like you have to tell people that because it can- Or it if can, you've been drinking like yeah. all kinds, or doing hard drugs, I don't know. Or if you're on painkillers, like you need to say something because if they treat you as if you have nothing in your system, they'll ask you if you've taken Tylenol, ibuprofen, something like that. It, it can kill you, really. It if you're not honest, you. it can kill you. It could permanently disable you. It could just lead to inadequate treatment. Absolutely. Yeah. So the article goes on to say, Mason Cooley, a vocal advocate for the sickle cell community who spoke on Capitol Hill about the disease in 2018, said all she wants is to be heard. I don't want to undermine any doctor or nurse because it's a noble job, she said. But I know people with sickle cell that have actually died from a heart attack because the pain was so excruciating. No one took it seriously and they passed away. It's got to stop. We're asking you to listen to us. We just want to be treated the way you would want your own family treated. I think another thing that is important to discuss with this too is 
that women in general tend to not be taken seriously by doctors. I know a lot of people who've had, it's just anxiety, it's just gas, whatever. I had a very good friend of mine who passed away last summer because she had stage four breast cancer. And the reason it did not get found out is because her doctor did not take her seriously and repeatedly told her, no, you're just in pain because you just gave birth. And she was like, I've given birth before. I know this is not normal. She advocated for herself tirelessly and it still still took them time. That doctor who didn't take her seriously killed her. It is their fault she's dead. And I feel very passionately about that. And so not only do, you know, women in general not get taken as seriously by physicians, but then on top of that, black women are in so many different aspects they're in double danger, I guess, you know, yeah. it's doubly worse for them because as you know, a woman and a black person, you are just not taken seriously in the way that you need to be, to be medically treated properly. Sorry, you got so, me with the part saying that the doctor told her it was because she had just given birth. It, she has it's, a young kid. She is two. And she was the sole provider of her family. And she was in her early thirties. And she wasn't believed. Nope. And she took very good care of herself and she knew something was wrong and she actively tried to fight for herself. And by the time that they took her seriously, it had metastasized to her entire body. You got me feeling some kind of way. (laughs) She was one of the most brilliant, kind, well-thinking people I've I've ever known. It's always the good ones. I think with that, I want to share this poem by T.J. Jarrett. It's called Anarcha. J. Marion Sims opens my body for the 31st time. I am not yet dead. Do not call this miracle or raise your hands in praise. First, you should know how long I prayed and how long I came to know the silence of the Lord. He does not arrive in a ball of light blinding on the road to Damascus. He comes in silence. Lie there night after night and you will come to know. He speaks in the tongue of suffering. I have not survived. Do not call it brave. I rattled this body from the inside. I could not find its latch. I would have escaped it if I could. Reader, a body can be rummaged through like a medicine cabinet. The flesh can be unfurled, stitched, unbound, mended, and stitched again. Nothing is lost. Nothing can be unmade. Do not underestimate how hard it is to die, and do not think the dead will save you. The dead have forgotten suffering. Remember what I told you. Remember how hard I prayed. Remember whole days and nights I wandered outside myself. My body opened to wind and latched again, like a door against it. There was pain in the opening and pain in the parts that healed. Remember what I said of prayer, to house the soul in a body is a way of it. Sometimes we suffer for one another as I have suffered for you. If you like, we can call it holy. That line a body can be rummaged through like a medicine cabinet is just intense. That's really profound. Yeah. And if you like, we can call it holy. Yeah. That's fucking. Again, there's not a lot about Anarka, but there is a lot of beautiful art and poetry. There's a documentary. I highly recommend, you know, there's not a lot we can do to honor her as far as, knowing what happened to her, but you can still honor the woman who, who participated, you know, without the ability to give consent in these experiments by giving their names weight and paying attention to things that people say about them, 
giving them immortality in that way because, you know, we don't know where they're buried. We don't know where their graves are. We don't know what happened to them, where their descendants are. There is some... If you look up, I believe, the Wikipedia article about Anarka, there is somebody who thinks they might have found her grave, but her name has been, like, butchered over the years and changed in documents, so it's, like, it's obliterated. Yeah. And we truly don't know, and there's no reason to exhume or anything a resting body because we still wouldn't be able to prove anything. Yeah, there's there's Um, no... But it's about not just remembering Sims... But Anarka, Betsy, Lucy, and upwards of 10 other women that were never even named. Experiments and discoveries that were made could not have been made without them. And not just because of their bodies. Because they actively helped and participated. They were his nurses, essentially. Because no other doctors wanted to work with him. They helped each other. These women... Yeah, they helped each other survive. Well, something that I absolutely cannot fathom surviving. It could not have been done without them in more than one way. It's not just because he needed someone to experiment on. It's because he could not have done it without their help. Ultimately, they gained knowledge and expertise and didn't get recognition for it. Recognizing that pretty much everything we have is built on the suffering of others and Grateful doesn't feel like the right word to use, but being aware of it and not allowing ourselves to forget about it. Because I mean, the same with, you know, a lot of the stuff we have now too was also discovered on concentration camp victims. There are things that doctors could not ethically do. And so it was done on people who at whatever point in time where they were working were not considered people. So it didn't matter ethically to them. Right. And yeah, just holding, I guess, lighting a candle for those for the people who suffered so that we could have healing. That's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, that's the father of gynecology, and he's not the only one that led to, it's not like he's the father of medical racism. He certainly is a perpetrator of it, and a reason people have held up examples of medical racism, but it is still prevalent today, and... It's really important to pay attention to this and to be actively aware of it and to advocate for people. If you are working in a situation where you can advocate for people, do that and learn more and don't just take it from us. And, you know, if you have experiences or know things, we would love to hear about it. If you have stories that you want to share, we do want to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. And as Ellsworth always says, do your research, not just with summoning demons like Azazel in your home, but (laughs) to learn about people in your community, to learn about disparity. Let this be an open door for you. And, you know, we have our own biases and I don't think we're very good at covering them up. I mean, we, you know, we have our own opinions and beliefs and I think they're great and fantastic and perfect, but, you know, (laughs) except for the one about you not liking onions, but you kind of like onions now. They're okay. I won't eat them with a big spoon. Those are fighting words, Ellsworth. Fighting words. You are within arm's length. I am. You have long arms. I got long arms. (laughs) You do. And I got a stabby pencil. I'm going to back up, but my mic won't record me. (laughs) You got a stabby what? I got a stabby pencil. (laughs) (laughs) What was it we said earlier? Big spoon's about to become big strainer. (laughs) Full of holes. Full of holes. Well, this is not the last of our dark medical history, but this is the last of the father of gynecology. And I'm sure this will not be the last time that we discuss 
people being used as guinea pigs. I'm sure there's going to be plenty more guinea pig talk. The more research we did just into Sims and experimentation on enslaved people brought up so many other things that we could easily do. Yeah. You know, an hour and a half, three hours on. I did not have a medical would you rather, but you know what? I feel like that would have been in poor taste. So... Although I would like to um, end every episode with a terrible Ellsworth would you rather. So I have a really horrible one for you. Um, I had some really nice mild ones and I I had those written down too, but I decided that I'm going to use the really horrible one. This is the dirt star here. This is the dirt star. We are entered completely into the dirt star. Would you rather have pubes for teeth or teeth for pubes? What about death? Not an option. Death is never an option. Okay. If you kill yourself, the universe decides for you and you just come back. Fuck that. Okay. I am God here. Pubes for teeth. (laughs) Or teeth Teeth for pubes. I'm going to go full dentata and just say, you've seen the movie Teeth, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Dentata. Um, Teeth for pubes. (laughs) I I need my teeth. I can't have just hair there. The only thing I could think of is if this is a not cruel world where you can make adjustments, I would pick pubes for teeth, I would have them removed, and then I would get dentures. Yeah, but what if they keep growing back? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And then you just got like pubes going around your teeth. Like, what do you have? Do you have like an at-home Kenzie laser that you just... Ugh. (laughs) Yeah. I think teeth for pubes because that's you'd be able to hide that. You could. Yeah, and I would assume remove the teeth. Although you could get pretty famous having teeth for pubes. Someone's into that. You would have to have an OnlyFans. It's, you would have to. Yeah. Someone's into that. I know someone listening right job, now is into that. Start Don't your tell OnlyFans. Us, but I know someone's into that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. We don't God. need to hear about it. <laughs> could you imagine like bikinis, but it's like teeth, you know? Strange adornments. Strange adornments, Michelle. Oh get on it. <laughs> Shout out. I want, a, I want a deer tooth bikini. Oh, oh. They've got wild looking teeth. They do. I have a deer tooth necklace from her, actually. A rosary style necklace. That's cool. And I have to like I have to be careful with how I wear it because they're actually surprisingly sharp. Ooh. And it dangles like, you know, between the cleavage. I don't have any, but if it had cleavage, <laughs> that's where it would dangle. That's very cool. And yeah, it like, it'll stab you. I have to wear it over my over my shirt. Oh my god, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like how she came back into the conversation naturally. Yes. But seriously though, like you'd always feel like you had something between your teeth if it grew back. I just, and also like just thinking about smiling and just like, oh, kissing somebody and getting it. Oh my God. Getting it entangled in his beard. (laughs) It would be terrible. Oh, and brushing your teeth. Like, oh my God, getting it stuck <laughs> in the bristles. You'd have to like wax it first. You'd have to be on a soup diet. You couldn't. What if you swallowed them, Ellie? Hairball. Sorry, <laughs> pube hairball. I feel I feel so sick. <laughs> oh my God. Wretched. The universe would bring me back. I cannot Wretched. choose death. I would have pube teeth. But like. Yeah. yeah. I would have <laughs> teeth for pubes, not pubes for teeth. Fucking Christ. <laughs> yeah, that was. Um, That's a good one. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, I didn't come up with that. I got that one on Reddit. Reddit is disturbing and the right place to find would you rather. It is. It yeah. is. Yeah. I was trying to think of one and I had like some kind of boring ones and then I was like, it's the place to go. That was acceptable. Had to do with physiology. Yep. So I yeah. Like so that's the end of this episode. Be sure to follow our 
socials. We are at Devil's Dirt Star on everything. TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. I think that's it. Uh, YouTube. Yeah. So yeah, at Devil's Dirt Star. Give us a follow. We post, we try to post a lot of content. I'm not super great about YouTube, but yeah, we try to, we try to post content. We try to interact. We do have merch that you can purchase. We do have an Amazon wish list if you want to help us decorate our pothole or if you want to send us weird shit. Uh, we are working on getting a P.O. box so you can do that. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah. Send us weird shit. Not yeah. illegal shit and not, you know, like use your brain. And not blood. We've we said don't it want before. Blood. Yeah. We were joking about that. We're not vampires. Yeah. I was um, excited. Though. Teeth is acceptable. As teeth long as fine. it's your teeth, don't take someone else's teeth. Preferably, it fell out in the past. You You do not rip it out. Properly removed. Maybe don't send us teeth. I take that back. Animal teeth? Animal teeth, as long as, again, don't hurt something. If you find a cool bone in a forest, though, we'll take it. Yes. How come every time we ask something from the fans, there has to be this caveat of don't harm anyone? (laughs) Assuming (laughs) that if they're listening to this, they're probably a little weird. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. I mean, we are. It is a podcast for the esoteric and strange. Send us bones. It'll be a good time. It will be. Yeah. Be sure to give us a follow on social media. We are at Devil's Dirt Star on everything. We are on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, you name it. We are at Devil's Dirt Star. Stay dirty. Stay dirty. Stay dirty.